gospel, hopefully it gives you a, more of a fervor and a desire as you read God's word as, as to how we're to apply that in our lives. Uh, hopefully you've also kind of got the understanding that anything done outside the context of the gospel is really helps us to quickly deviate from the mission and vision that God has given us as his church, the very vision that God has left us with. So even as we've looked at sacrificing our time uh, and our treasures for the sake of the gospel, that if we do that with an inward focus, we very quickly, even though so slowly, but very surely we will deviate from the mission that God has given us. Uh, you may have noticed that over these past few sermon series, I have been emphasizing the mission and vision that God has given us as a local body of believers. In fact, we so much believe in this mission and vision that we put it on the walls. I'm sure you noticed this last week. And so over here is the mission of the church that God has given. This is right out of the Bible. It's not something that we get to decide as a church, to multiply disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the mission that Jesus Christ has left the church with. That is the bottom line for every single church. When we take our eyes off of this, we deviate into something that very quickly uh, spirals out of control and turns into a pharisaical factory. The specific vision that we believe God has given this church to fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us is to reach and to impact 200,000 people with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ by the year 2020. And as we've shared in weeks past, that although that number, 200,000, may seem absolutely ridiculous, I think it's actually kind of low. That when we realize that we are the body of Christ, that God has called each of us individually to be members of this body and to fulfill that, that the number 200,000 really isn't that big at all. As we've seen in weeks past, the sphere of influence that God has given us and the amount of people that we have in our spheres of influence is quite large. 200,000 is really nothing. But what we're really trying to do with this sermon series, the journey, is to have us take a look at everything within the context of the gospel being made known. Everything in the context of multiplying disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ within the context of Scripture. Now, if I may be so bold as to say this, that what we have morphed this mission into as the Americanized church is multiplying our own families with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. And by that, I mean our own individual families. We have taken it out of the context of the scriptures. What does the scripture say? That we as the body of Christ make God's glory known to whom? All nations. To every single person who has never heard. Yes, our families are part of that. But what typically happens in most churches is that we become so inwardly focused that the only people that are being baptized that have come to faith in Christ are our own family members. Now that's not bad. But may I suggest this? That may be a sign of a very unhealthy church. If we are not seeing people outside, those who are lost, those who have never heard the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ coming to faith in Jesus Christ, then we may not be doing this. And we're certainly not going to do that. And so as we continue today, and matter of fact, we're going to probably look at this, we're definitely going to look at this again next week and maybe even a third week. Another thing that I want us to continue to consider as we multiply disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, is something that is so vitally important that if this is not taking place, we will never accomplish that. And if we don't accomplish that, we won't even come close to reaching 200,000 people. And it is the idea of church membership. 
Think about church membership outside the context of the gospel and what church membership often becomes. And so I want us to look at what membership is. As we seek to multiply disciples with uh, the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, as we continue this journey together as a local body of believers, that we think of everything in the context of the gospel, that everything we do, including church membership, in the context of making God's glory known to all nations. But may I suggest this? One of Satan's slyest tricks that he's done very well in in Americanized Christianity is to change the definition of what church membership is. And I think by the end of our sermon today, you'll see why he has done such a good job. And my goal is, God's goal is at the end of looking at his word that we leave today with a real biblical mindset of what church membership actually is. But if we keep this outside of the context of membership in everything in the context of the gospel, we will slowly deviate from what God's vision is. We have to keep a laser focus on the mission that Jesus Christ left us with, or we begin to deviate down paths that lead to unhealthiness. And so the title of today's sermon is this, Multiplying, Committing Your Life to a Multiplying Community. Now here's the deal with that. That precipitates the fact that we actually are a multiplying community, and I would say this, that as a local body of believers, we are on our way to becoming that, but we're not yet there. You know, but we need to commit our lives to becoming and being a multiplying community to multiply disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. How many times have you heard people say something like this? I don't need to be a member of a church to be a Christian. How many of you have heard that? I hear it all the time. You know, and you know what? It, might, it makes logical sense when we have the idea of what I would say is an Americanized version of what church membership is. When we think about membership as Satan has so slyly made us and twisted it to be, that makes sense. I don't have to be part of going to some building to be a Christian. Satan is so sly in that he always uses a grain of truth to deceive us. You see, if we think about church as a place that we go, that makes sense. If we think as church as a building, then that makes sense. I don't need to be part of a church to be a Christian. But may I just be so bold as to say that is such an unbiblical mindset of what church is? Why? Because this bricks and mortars is not the church. We are the church. You did not get up and go out into the cold weather today to go to church. We are the church, and we have come to assemble as the church, and that is the biblical mindset. But what Satan has done, he, he has gotten us in Americanized Christianity to think that a building is the church, and that the building defines the church, and that we go to church. And so when somebody says, I don't need to be a member of a church to be a Christian, it actually makes logical sense to us, but it is a fallacy, a fallacy from the devil. You know, and so as we continue this morning, I want to challenge us from God's word, because if we don't challenge from anything but God's word, then we will what? We will deviate from the very things that Jesus left us with. And so I want us to think about church membership in the context of the gospel, in the context of God's word. Why? Because here's point number one. 
Nowhere within the pages of this book in the New Testament will you find anything that has to do with Lone Ranger Christianity. You won't find it. It's not there. Now, you might be thinking, well, Paul was by himself. Yeah, but who sent him out? The church. Who did he report to? The church. Who did the apostles preach to? The church, the body of believers. Nowhere in the Bible is there support for Lone Ranger Christianity and said, yet this is a concept that is increasing more and more and more in Americanized Christianity. Hey, and, and here's what they say. I don't need to be a member of a church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And we go, that makes sense. I don't need to, I can worship God by myself. I don't need to go to church. Once again, the enemy uses this deception. I hope that you worship God by yourself. In fact, I hope you do that every single day. I do. But that doesn't mean that I don't have to go to church. Guess why? Because we are the church. You and I together make up the church, and we need to come together to worship God together. God's design throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, as we see is this covenant of believers in Jesus Christ who have yielded their lives to Christ, who come together for the assembly to be taught, to be equipped, so that they could go out the rest of the week and be the church, that they can do that, that they share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we're multiplying disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because my life has been transformed with it, and I can't wait to see God use me to share this with those who don't know so their lives can be transformed. And then before you know it, we've reached more than 200,000 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God never brings somebody to himself and then puts them on an island by himself. He always puts them in the midst of community. And so fallacy number one that I want us to look at this morning is that I am not the church. You are not the church. An individual never makes up the church. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, now you are the body of who? The body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ that we individually together make up the body of Jesus Christ. We aren't to be separate by ourselves, we make up the body. And each one of us is to be committed to Jesus Christ and then therefore committed to the body of Christ because we as members make up the body of Christ. We don't go to church to be a Christian. We are the church because we are Christians and we make up the body of Christ. What I'm hearing in increasing measure today, and even some friends of ours are saying this now, is I can't stand the church. I've actually heard people say it this way. I hate the church. I see people posting. Even this week I've seen people posting stuff about the church on social media about how much they can't stand the church. Here's where the fallacy comes in. When we think of the church as a building or we think of the church as those who gather on Sunday mornings, we miss the whole idea of what the church is. When we say something like that, if you find yourself or if you've ever found yourself saying that or you hear somebody else saying that, we need to strongly encourage them to reconsider through prayer and the study of God's word what it is they are actually saying. Because here's what they're saying. If they say they hate the church, 
They're saying two things. They hate themselves. Why? Because we are the church. But worse than that, they're saying, I hate Jesus. You catch this? What does that verse say? You are the body of Christ. If you say you hate the church, you say you hate Jesus Christ. Now, I understand why some people are saying that. They've been so wounded by people who are in the church, people who call themselves the church. I get some of that. But we need to understand very carefully when we say these things, what we are really saying according to God's word. What we're really saying is that we hate Christ. What we're really saying is that we don't understand the whole concept and that we've been deceived by the enemy, that we don't understand what the church is or who the church is. It's we as believers that make up the body of Christ. And therefore, as Hebrews 10 says, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This is a familiar passage that says we are not to forsake meeting together. Look at Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Because we are the body of Christ, that we make up the body of Jesus Christ. Verse 24 says, and let us consider, let us consider how to stir one another onto love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's not give up the habit of meeting together. Why? Because that's the mission that Jesus has given us, to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. We are to meet together, to be equipped, to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's kind of difficult to spur one another on to good deeds if we don't assemble together, isn't it? It's kind of difficult to get equipped if we're not meeting together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This is a passage of scripture that God has really been really bringing back to my mind over and over. He said he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, and some teachers. Why? To equip who? The saints for the work of ministry for what? The building up of the body of Christ. God has given all of us different roles in the body of Christ to do what? To build one another up. Well, if you're not together, how can you do that? If we're not assembling together, we can't do that. You know, it's difficult to build up the body of Christ if we have this Lone Ranger Christian mentality. And yet it is pervading in the world today. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what is actual membership. Because this is fallacy number two. We have a misconception of what membership is in Americanized Christianity. Even in our culture, Satan has so deviated this and distorted the definition of biblical membership that we have fallen into this trap to think of membership in the Western culture mentality. That membership is something that, let's just use the idea of country club membership. I pay a fee, and as a result of that, I get certain benefits and amenities back. Right? That's what membership has become, that we are part of this club, and because we're a part of this club, that we get things in return. Yet that's not the definition of biblical membership at all. Biblical membership is more of a medical membership. It is, as Paul has said, and we'll see this in a moment, that we are part of a body. It's not that we are a part of this club where we get things in return. No, God has called us to be members of a body, and Paul has said this, and we'll look at this in the weeks to come. You know, some, some have different roles. Turn to Romans chapter 12. 
is Paul, Paul looks at this. Romans chapter 12 and verses 3 and 6. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has decided. We, we need to not think of ourselves that more highly than we ought to in the sense that, hey, I, am, I can be by myself and still be a Christian. Verse 4, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though, many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That God has called us to be one body of many members that come together, that God has given us certain gifts to be able to use for what? The edification of the body that makes up the church. Biblical membership, therefore, is not something that we pay for, something that we are giving a service for. Biblical membership is that it's more of this medical terminology that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God makes you part of a body. He gives you a role to play. He gives you significance in, in that membership to help that membership do what? Fulfill the mission that God, Jesus has given us to multiply God's grace by making his glory known to all nations. When we forget that, membership becomes something totally different. When we forget that, it becomes easy to have membership be something that is about us. And when we forget the mission of the church, then membership becomes about certain rights and privileges that we think we ought to have. And so do you see how Satan is so twisted the definition of what membership is that he has gotten us to think things that aren't true about the church and then we think that we have rights and privileges that we get to interject upon the church when the reality that's not the case at all and it all comes back to looking at biblical membership in the context of the gospel and so in the same way that we look at the studying of God's word in the context of the gospel, prayer in the context of the gospel, giving of our time and our treasures in the context of the gospel, being a church member in the context of the gospel is of uttermost importance. As soon as we begin to think about membership as the assembling together of Christians outside the context of the gospel, we quickly become a holy huddle. And when we become a holy huddle, it becomes all about fellowship. Fellowship is a byproduct of that. When we are multiplying disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ and we're fulfilling the Great Commission, fellowship is a byproduct of that. It is not the end in of itself. It is the byproduct of a healthy church. Yes, fellowship is sweet, but when it becomes just about fellowship, then we've missed the whole point of being the church in the first place. And so as we begin to wrap up this morning, I want to challenge you to commit your life to a multiplying community. And yes, I am saying that we are on the way to becoming a multiplying community. But as I share this last story, I want you to honestly ask yourself, where would you fit into in the context of this story? There was, um, on a dangerous 
seacoast, you know, where there was lots of shipwrecks, there was a small group of guys that would always be constantly watching, especially when storms came, and they had this little shack that sat on, on the coast, and they would watch for shipwrecks as these storms came, and when a ship would go down, they would get in their little beat-up boat, and they would row out to where the ship went down, and they would save lives, and they did this over and over and over, and word finally got out about what this small group of guys did. In fact, they, would, they were quickly called heroes. They didn't consider themselves heroes. That God just gave them certain talents to be able to go out, and they had a desire to save lives. And the more they saved lives, the more they wanted to save lives. But when word got out what was going on, other people decided they wanted to be a part of this group. Other swimmers decided, hey, I want to be part of something like that. And the group began to grow. And as the group began to grow, they ended up having trainings so that people would understand how to row through these currents and how to get guys out and get back safely. And the more trainings they had, the more the group grew. So as the group grew and they saved more and more lives, then, then they came back, they decided that this little shack that they had wasn't good enough, and so they raised money to build a bigger building so that those that were shipwrecked, when they came back, had a warmer place to stay. Well, as that building got bigger, guess what it turned into? All the guys that were doing the life-saving wanted a place to congregate, and so they would come, and they did life together, and they would greet each other with warm hugs and talk about all the things they did, and they were excited about reaching lives, and they still went out. But then there was one day when things began to change. One day, they went out, and they saved a bunch of guys, and when they came back, this new building that they had built, and these guys that just came out from the ocean who were brought into the building, well, they kind of messed up the building. And they had a meeting of all the members. And they had this dialogue that, hey, we just built this new building. And these guys are messing it all up. Hey, we need to have some showers outside so that these guys can clean up before they come into the building. And one thing led to another. They did that. And, and, but what began to happen is there became this rift between the first group, who was originally the guys who were just saving lives, and they didn't care if they had a nice building. They just had a shack and a bunch of ratty old boats. They just wanted to save lives. And the other group, who wanted to be part of the group, but it was more about them meeting together. And what ended up happening, they guess what they had? They had a split. And the second group told the first group, that hey, if you want to do this, you need to go down the coast and build yourself another little shack. So what they do, they left and they went down the coast and built another little shack. And guess what happened? They started saving lives again. But guess what else happened? When they started saving lives, more people wanted to be part of their group, and history repeated itself. And all up and down the coast where these ships were sinking with quite frequency, you found all these great buildings with these big parking lots and a bunch of people meeting together. But here was the problem. Ships kept sinking, and lives were being lost because people were more concerned about meeting together and congregating together in buildings than the mission that existed in the first place. Guess what? Isn't that a great definition of churches today in Americanized Christianity? We have forgotten the mission that Jesus left behind for us as his church. And we've been more about building buildings for the sake of congregating together and doing life together. And yes, we love being together. But it's become a whole lot more about the fellowship of Christians than it has been about the mission that God left us with in the first place. And we got these great big buildings with these great big parking lots. People all around us are dying and going to hell because we forgot the mission. And so I want to challenge us as a body of believers that we really look 
at who we are today? Have we become more like those who just want to congregate together than those who originally came together to found this church that was way out here in the country, a conservative church that wanted to reach the lost for Jesus Christ? And the meetings that once took place in this church where people were standing room only outside the windows of the church as the gospel was being preached and people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ? I believe there's four groups of people that will be here today. There's a group of people that are committed members of this body who have not forgotten the mission, and they want to multiply disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're willing to do anything it takes, even if that means that God sends them to the mission field. There's a second group of people that are members of this church, but maybe along the way, because we've maybe unknowingly not understood the real definition of what membership is in the body of Christ, we have, and understandably so, we have so enjoyed coming together in the fellowship of being together with believers that we've kind of been deceived by the enemy and we've forgotten the mission of this church. There's another large group of people, especially in the second service that will be here today, that have been coming for a long time, yet they have not joined the church. And there's a lot of reasons why they haven't joined the church. Some of them are coming, and they've been wounded by the church. You know, they, there's, the church has done terrible things to them, and I get that. I've been wounded. My family's been greatly wounded by the church. But guess where the best place to be healed is? In a healthy body of believers, where we serve together with the mission of Christ, where there's no strings attached. And then there's a fourth member, a group of members here today. And I wouldn't call them members, but it's a fourth group of people. And those are those that don't yet know Christ. They might think they know Christ. Some of them are seeking, but you can't be a part of the body of Christ unless you have a personal life-transforming relationship with Christ. If you look at the words we use, both in the mission and the vision of the church, we have used very intentional words because if you genuinely have a relationship with Christ, your life has been transformed. There's a lot of people that are warming pews all across this country this morning whose lives have never been transformed because of Jesus. And let me just say this very bluntly. They don't have a relationship with Christ. You cannot have a relationship with Christ and not have your life transformed. It's impossible because guess what? Christ is in the business of transforming lives. Lives change when they meet Jesus. Yet there's a lot of people that are members of a group of people that meet within the walls of their building that are not part of the body of Jesus Christ. So as we come to a conclusion this morning, I want to ask you just to consider, honestly consider, which one of those groups of people you are. Because here's the reality. If we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, we have to have a laser focus on that. Multiplying disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as soon as we take our eyes off of that, we start very quickly to become a holy huddle. More concerned about assembling together as believers than we are about reaching the lost. When we do that, man, the fellowship here is going to be even better than it has been. And then very quickly when we begin to do that, we are going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are going to impact more those who are seekers that don't even realize they're being impacted with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ because when they see lives being transformed, they're going to be impacted. They're going to want to know what is going on. And we're going to see God do amazing things. A couple of weeks ago, I put up here the 2% challenge on those little blue cards. In the second service, we had an overwhelming response 
of people to come forward to sign those cards saying that I am willing to give 2%, which comes out to one week of my time this year, outside the context of what I'm used to giving for the sake of that. My challenge to us this morning comes right out of God's word. What kind of member are we going to be? Are we going to be a member who's willing to be focused on that and do everything we can to become a, a multiplying disciple maker ourselves? Or just pew warmers who are more concerned about fellowship? I'm going to put those 2% challenges up here again. And you can come during the invitation. You can come after the service. You know, my desire is that we become a body of believers that is so laser-focused on that that we do absolutely nothing around here without thinking about that. That we don't even have a Sunday school fellowship time without inviting unchurched people to come to because we are so focused about that that it transforms everything we do for the sake of making God's glory known. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for who you are. We are so grateful for your word. God, we are so grateful for what Jesus has done and that he has transformed our lives. But God, all of us have been deceived in one way, shape, or form into thinking that church is something that it is not. God, we have lost our focus on what you have given us. And God, we desire to have that laser focus. God, we desire for you to convict us and to guide us and to help us to realize what role that we can play and seeing people come to faith in you. God, help us through the leading of your Holy Spirit to become the body of believers that you desire for us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.